Take your Bibles and turn, please, to Jeremiah chapter 23. We are going to, well, I say jump ahead a little bit today. We're not really doing that. As I mentioned once, Jeremiah is written in a rather unusual way where he covers one theme but spread out across multiple chapters. And so we're going to pick up one thing from chapter 6 at the end, but we focus mostly in chapter 23 today, so you can go ahead and uh, have your place there. On September 30th, 1938, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain returned from a visit to Munich, Germany, where he met with Adolf Hitler. And when Chamberlain returned, uh, he proudly announced, and I quote, I think we've got an old photograph here um, of, of that announcement. He's holding up the, the paper that was signed. Uh, he proudly announced, I have returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. Go home and get a nice quiet sleep. And less than a year after this agreement was signed, Hitler invaded Poland and World War II began. Uh, Neville, Neville Chamberlain was, um, well, I'm not going to say what he was. He was, uh, he was not a great leader. Um, he had foolishly been lulled into a false sense of security by Hitler. And he came home and passed that false sense of security on to an entire nation. And in doing so, uh, rather than preparing them for the war that would soon come, he had given them a false sense of peace. We've seen how the prophet Jeremiah was sent by God to warn the people of Judah that judgment was coming, judgment was about to fall on the entire nation because they had turned away from God. He was sent to proclaim the true word of God without watering it down, without apologizing for what it said, he was sent to tell the people that they were going to be judged for their sin. And needless to say, Jeremiah was not a very popular man. And we'll see that as we continue to move through this book. Uh, he was hated. He was attacked. They tried to get rid of him. They tried to kill him. All of this for simply proclaiming the truth. The message he brought was a hard message to hear, no doubt. And the people in his day didn't want to hear a hard message any more than the people in our day want to hear a hard message. You understand, culture has changed. Lots of things have changed, but people's hearts have not changed. You and I struggle with the same things that these people struggled with 2,600 years ago because it all comes down to truth or lies. It all comes down to right or wrong. It all comes down to God or Satan. That's the battle that rages within all of us. So these people did not want to hear this message. They did not want Jeremiah around. So what did they do? They went out looking for other preachers, other prophets who would tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear um, feel-good messages they wanted to hear positive, upbeat sermons. None of that sin or judgment stuff. And as they listened to those false prophets, 
telling them only positive things, they were also being lulled into a false sense of peace, even as God's judgment was about to fall on them. I mentioned to you that there's a phrase repeated multiple times throughout the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah continues to say just about everything he says, he prefaces it with the word of the Lord came to me, or this is what the Lord says over and over again through this book. In fact, it's repeated so much, it's almost distracting. But as we come to this chapter today, I think it's going to make a lot more sense. We'll understand a bit more that he kept repeating this in order to distinguish what he was saying from what the false prophets were saying. Now, these false prophets are are mentioned throughout this book. We saw it a little bit in chapter 1 when it talked about the priests and the leaders who were not pursuing God. Um, It's mentioned in Chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 6, 8, 14, 23, 27, 28, 29. I mean, this book is loaded with the mention of these false prophets and warnings to God's people about these false prophets. Now, for time's sake, I can't always read or get into everything I would love to. So what I've done, I've sort of I've kind of lifted out the, the highlights from chapter 23 And I want to take just a few minutes to read through these so that we can get the full picture of uh, what is concerning God so much and what we need to be on the lookout for still today. So let's start with Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. Now skip down to verse 9. We'll pick up the next highlight. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are profane. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Verse 21, I have not sent these prophets, God says, yet they ran. I've not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, 
Then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Verse 25. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream Let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And this last section we'll look at, verses 30 to 32. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says, or God says, in other words, behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. Well, that's a happy Sunday morning uh, text, isn't it? Everybody go home and uh, enjoy your day. This is rather uplifting. This is so important for us to pause and consider this text. And I hope by the time we're through in just a few minutes, we'll understand why this is so relevant to us today. As you make your way through life and you are surrounded by countless voices telling you this and telling you that, Are you going to listen to God, or are you going to listen to people? Um, This message today won't sit well with some people. In fact, I would drill down a little bit further and say this message today won't sit well with some Christians. Um, Jeremiah's message didn't sit well with the Jews of that day, and yet it was Jeremiah who was the true prophet And all the others were called false by God. And as I said, people today haven't changed at all. Um, They don't want to hear the truth of God's word for the most part. They want to go with what's trending. They uh, They want to go with what's cool. You know, what's the what's the popular book today? Who's the popular pastor today? I can tell you what book you'd better go with. You'd better go with this old book right here. And I can tell you which pastors you'd better listen to. You'd better listen to the one who preaches only from this book, from the Bible, from the Word of God. It's amazing how this old book of Jeremiah is still so relevant, not only to our society, but to our hearts today. The world is full of false prophets. Uh, This is not an old problem. This has been going on um, since shortly after the fall. People have taken what God said, they've twisted it, um, and it continues to this day. It was rampant in Jesus' time, and it's still alive and well today, unfortunately. 
And these false prophets don't talk about sin. They don't talk about repentance. If they do talk about Jesus, he's pictured as a kind of magic genie who exists to grant all your wishes and give you the best life possible, because according to them, Christians are highly favored, and apparently that means that they're, all, uh, they're, they're above suffering and sickness and sorrow in this life. And don't forget, God will give you the best parking space at the mall. Some of these false teachers get up on stage and they say, um, the Lord gave me a word just for you. And immediately I'm thinking, oh, really? We have his word. Why don't you just read that? The Lord gave me a word just for you. He told me if you sow $1,000 into this ministry, you'll get tenfold back. And that's not a random statement. That is an exact quote from a television show I saw many years ago. I wrote that down to remember it. If you sow a $1,000 seed into this ministry, God will give you tenfold back. And I thought, I wonder how many poor little widow ladies there are out there, barely making it by, who think, oh, Lord, I'm going to take this step of faith and trust you. And they empty their bank account to send to these charlatans. These people fleece the flock, and then they live in multi-million dollar mansions, and they have no conscience whatsoever. I could play that game too, but then I'd have to answer to a holy God, and I'd rather not do that. It's tough enough just trying to do what I'm doing here without fleecing the flock, without teaching false doctrine. The Bible says not many of you should presume to be teachers because we know that those who teach will face a stricter judgment. So I already have that hanging over my head. And I will just say I make no apologies to anyone when I say that I have zero respect for pastors and prophets like that. They are not servants of God. They are false prophets leading people astray. In fact, it's, it's much deeper than that. Just because of my upbringing, <clears throat> I've mentioned to you that when I was younger, my family worked with smuggling God's word into many communist countries. And I got to see some of that firsthand and meet some of those Christians from those countries, one of them being Pastor and Mrs. Richard Wombrand. And so for me, this topic runs much deeper than just beware of false prophets. This topic actually infuriates me. When I see these charlatans doing what they're doing, preaching just enough Bible to draw people in, but then the rest of it filled with lies. It makes me incredibly angry to see this going on while I know that God's true prophets, both throughout history and around the world this very day, are being persecuted and put to death because they refuse to compromise the word of God. Jeremiah preached the truth. And how was he rewarded? He was rewarded with loneliness, with hardships, with persecution, just as so many are facing today.
There's a pastor I know who visited um, a country. I won't say which one, uh, but it was either, um, let's just say, Vietnam, China, uh, North Korea, or Iraq. And during his visit there, as he met secretly with many of these pastors, he said to them through the interpreter, raise your hand if you have been imprisoned for your faith. And he said hands went up all over the room. Almost everyone, he said. One pastor, he said, was arrested. They knocked all his teeth out. And then they let him go so that the other pastors would see what was going to happen to them. And then they arrested him again a few days later. A new believer saved one month, excited about his new faith in Christ. They set his house on fire in the middle of the night. He escaped with one of his children and his wife and four other children burned to death. Why? Because he was a criminal? No, because he was a follower of Christ. And he refused to simply say, I renounce Jesus as my Savior. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture of some couple of those photos smuggled out of believers having their, their church building destroyed, burned to the ground, uh, the men in the, the bottom corner there facing execution. For following Christ. This is not a joke. This goes on even today. It's quite interesting. You know, you'll never see a prosperity preacher living in a place where Christians are persecuted and killed for their faith. That's odd. Or is it? You know why? Because nobody fakes their Christianity over there. You can't afford to. So how do you spot these false prophets? They're everywhere. Well, I can tell you they don't come with horns and a tail carrying a pitchfork. They're not that easy to recognize. They look and sound so authentic. They know all the Bible verses. Many of them have a string of degrees after their name. And they fool a lot of churches and a lot of Christians. This is what Jesus said about them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You know, but many of them are much more than just regular old preachers. They can dazzle the crowds with spectacular shows. They can heal on command. And I've, over the years... Forgive me for um, if this sounds sarcastic or mean, but I genuinely wanted to know. I've written letters to some of these ministries saying, I'm so thankful for your gift of healing. Would you be willing to come to the local children's hospital and walk with me from room to room and heal those boys and girls? Not one response, of course. Didn't expect one. They can heal on command. They can cast out demons. They can even perform miracles. So surely they're the real deal, right, Phil? I mean, they must be. Well, let's hear more of what Jesus had to say about this. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Listen to this. Many will say to me, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? The Lord answers, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These false teachers do all kinds of amazing things in the name of Jesus, and yet they are leading millions of people astray. And by no coincidence at all, by no coincidence at all, the one thing they're steering people away from is the very thing that will expose them and keep you from falling for their lies, and that is the whole truth of God's word. They say, look at these verses over here, but don't look at these over here. See, it's the whole truth of God's word that separates the false teachers from the true preachers. Anyone can get up and quote some verses. You know what it means? Nothing. It means nothing. Did you notice, by the way, how powerfully God described his word earlier? There are a couple of real nuggets in that long stretch of verses we read that I want to pick up on here. Back to Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Interesting. In the middle of this long uh, rant on false prophets, this beautiful little diamond is inserted. God says... Is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Fire can warm and it can destroy. A hammer can build and it can shatter. And yes, God's word, all of us surely know this, that God's word comforts and heals and strengthens us. It feeds us and builds us and restores us. But God's word also breaks hearts. It brings tears. It offends people. It creates enemies. This is one reason why many pastors soften God's word from the pulpit to make sure there's no fallout from what they say. There's no division caused. No one is ever offended. So they avoid certain passages of Scripture, and they teach other passages in ways that they were never meant to be taught or interpreted. Or they stop talking about the Bible altogether, and they only focus on cultural issues. And if you think I'm kidding, visit around. There are churches here in Greenville who never, the pastor never gets up and says, open your Bibles too. But they talk about um, saving the whales. They talk about, you know, saving the environment, feeding the homeless. Oh, that's a good thing. But they never open God's word. They never talk about Jesus. 
I'm going to tell you this morning, you and I need God's word in all its truth. We need that fire. We need that hammer in our life. And if you don't, please come tell me your secret. I need that in my life. We sang it last week, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What a staggering, shameful thought that is. Me, your pastor, prone to leave God. Yes, I am. On my own, I cannot survive the Christian life. I will never make it to the end. We need the fire of God's word. We need the hammer of his word to keep us pure and humble, to keep us from going astray. Because I want to tell you, folks, the church today is rapidly losing its way. They're exchanging truth for a lie on a level that 20 years ago would have been incomprehensible. It's not just the nation that has become apostate. The church is becoming apostate. Oscar Hanlon, back in 1996, wrote this incredible article that I tucked away called The Unmarked Way. He said this, At some point, midway into the 20th century, Europeans and Americans discovered that they had lost all sense of direction. Formerly, familiar markers along the way had guided their personal and social lives from birth to maturity to death. Now, disoriented, they no longer trusted the guideposts and groped in bewilderment towards an unimagined destination. Wandering in the dark, men and women in all Western societies, stumbling blindly along, strained unavailingly for glimpses of recognizable landmarks. That's a pretty good description of where we are today. Um, I don't know if you get out of your bubble much. You know, life moves so fast that one day ends before you realize it, and the next one starts, and it's just this endless cycle, and sometimes we just don't have time to get out of our little routine, our little world, to actually explore and see what's going on out there. I try to stay in touch, although I, I miss most of it. I know that. I have friends who send me things, and we you know, try to keep each other up to date on what's happening. Um, it's honestly... Um, I think it's a necessity to know what's going on in our world. I think we have a responsibility, but it's also very discouraging. You have to learn. It's like watching the news. You can't watch the news every day. Don't do that, by the way. Um, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, all of them, they're lying to you. We understand this, right? Yeah, okay. They're lying to you. So we have to be careful how much of this we take in, but we do need to know uh, what's going on. The things that I have seen just in the last few years, I'm talking about since COVID, the things that I have seen rolled out in the last few years in the country, in the world, and in the church 
is jaw-dropping. And you know, most of it is happening while you and I happily sleep. And I mean in our beds and during the day. Here's one example. A friend sent me this just last week. Um, boy, I wrestle, I'm still wrestling with whether <clears throat> I should do this or not. Uh, there's a video that I was going to bring. I, I could not bring myself to play this video in our church service. But I feel that we need to know what's going on. What I'm about to read sounds like a parody. It's going to sound like a joke. I assure you, it is not. I've researched this, and I want to warn you, this is a real creed spreading rapidly among churches. It's recited liturgically in church services as a statement of faith. One such church, you can find this video, just search for... Uh, Sparkle Creed Edina, E-D-I-N-A. One such church uh, reciting this creed and proud to do so is Edina Community Lutheran Church in St. Edina, Minnesota, led by Pastor Anna Helgen. You say, Phil, that's mean of you to call people out. You know what the Bible says? It says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. I really think... It's past time for the church in America to grow a backbone and stop tiptoeing around all these issues that are going to destroy us if we don't stand up and call them what they are and do something about it. This was originally written by, and I use her own description, queer minister, Reverend Rachel Small Stokes, pastor of Emmanuel United Church of Christ in Louisville, Kentucky. Put that slide up. Here's the creed. I don't know if I can do this. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads, and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shares our image of one white light and reflects it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt, who f whose feet are grounded in the mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the call to each of us that love is love is love, so beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. <laughs> Those of you over 50, could you ever have imagined a time when you were a child, could you ever have imagined this taking place in our country? But you see... This doesn't happen all at once. It happens inch by inch, day by day, while Christians are sleeping and keeping their mouth shut. It is not the government's job to bring this country back to God. It's the church's job. It's our job. And the church is not doing it. 
We're afraid to speak up. And we're going to pay a heavy price. You see, any church, any church can drift into apostasy. It happens very slowly. And any Christian can drift into apostasy. A year from now, some of you may be there. What is your guarantee that you will not drift into apostasy? Do you have a guarantee? Just, well, whoo, keep my fingers crossed. Well, I can offer you much more than that because God told us how to keep that from happening. One of the other beautiful little nuggets in the passage I read is back in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 16. Sorry, I didn't read chapter 6 yet. <clears throat> I had included it originally and um, just left it for now. Jeremiah six sixteen. This is what I want to um, just begin winding this down with. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. This is a plea from God to his people to stop and take inventory of what road they are currently on and then to see whether they have drifted from the road they should be on and then to return to the truth of his word, that old tried and trusted truth that was made known from the very beginning. God is pleading with his people. He hasn't left us helpless. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. I love... um, the little letters of the Apostle John. Uh, if, I've, if I've counted it right, nine times in the little tiny letters of 1 John and 2 John, he uses the phrase, from the beginning. He's constantly pointing his readers back to the beginning when John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God, the Word being Jesus. And John is pointing his little flock back to what was true at the beginning because even there in that century, in the early days of the church, they were facing false prophets. People were coming into the church and sowing false seed and leading the people astray. And John says over and over, the best thing I can tell you is to go back to what you know was true at the beginning. An example, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, he says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. 2 John, verse 6, this is the commandment. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. 
But walking in that truth is a choice. It's a choice for every one of us. And listen, it will not come naturally. Your flesh will never prompt you to go and read the Word of God. Your flesh will never encourage you to go and look into God's Word, as James says, like a mirror to see the dirty places on you that need to get cleaned up. Your flesh will never do that. This is a battle. This is a fight in the Christian life. I sometimes talk to young believers who are so discouraged because they, you know, they've heaped on this pile of guilt on themselves because they, they've missed their quiet time for a few days. You know, we've turned this into such a checklist of things. God's not looking for a checklist. He's looking for a relationship with you. Do you honestly live by a checklist with your spouse or your kids? You just want their love. Walking in this truth of God's word is a choice for all of us. And I'll show you just how clearly this is a choice. I intentionally didn't finish Jeremiah 6.16, but I want to do that now. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. We will not. You and I have that same choice before us. You do individually and we do collectively as a church. We have that choice before us constantly. I'm thankful for this church body. I'm thankful for the leaders. I'm thankful for this entire body of people who really are striving to stay true to the Word of God. We don't all agree on every single thing. Y'all don't all agree that I'm the most handsome man in the world. I tend to think differently. (laughs) There will be some things we disagree on. My wife was supposed to say amen at that point, but man, just like a dagger to the heart. We don't agree on Brussels sprouts either. That's very true. Look, there are some things, there are things we, we don't agree on. But folks, keeping this book front and center in our lives and in this church is absolutely vital. This is not just a book of good advice. Let me rephrase that. This is not a book of good advice. This is not a self-help book. This is not a feel-good book. This is the living, breathing Word of God. It has power to dissect you like a surgeon to dig deep into you, to touch those places that you're covering up, that you don't want to deal with, things that are hurting and wounding other people, things that are keeping you from a relationship, a true relationship with God. This book has the power to get into those places and to cut you and to break you and to crush you if necessary, to bring you to where you need to be and to keep you on the right path. You know how Christians get off track? They stop going to this book. You know how churches get off track? They stop going to this book. 
And I will charge you again today, and I mean this, if I ever stray from this book, kick me out. Do you understand me? And if this church ever chooses to stray from this book, I will be gone before you can blink. Folks, our country is going to hell. And the church is not far behind. We have been called by God to stand for what is true and right in this world. And that doesn't mean your pastor is going to do it all. We are the church. We have been called to stand and to be the light, to make a difference in the increasing darkness around us. Will we continue to embrace the truth of God's word individually and as a church? That old tried and trusted truth that was true from the beginning? Or are we going to engage on that endless search for something new? I like new things just as much as anybody else. But listen, we don't need anything new. We need the old-fashioned gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what we need. Some people say, yeah, Phil, you know, people today, they just don't get it. Well, then they don't get it. The gospel doesn't need to be changed. The gospel doesn't need to be softened. The message doesn't need to be uh, softly dished out and pampered to people. We need to stand upon this book. We need to hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel that saved us, that bought us from sin and redeemed us and made us children of God. The world, listen, when everything is said and done, the same people who are against you, who may be making fun of you for being a Christian, at the end of it all, they don't want a watered-down gospel. They want the truth. They desperately need the truth. Nothing else, nothing short of that is going to help them. I pray that we would be willing as individuals and as a church to stand true to the word of God no matter what comes. That we would be willing to say, God, bring your fire. Bring your hammer. And do your work in my life. Are you willing to say that today? We're going to take a few minutes now and sing a couple of closing songs. And I wonder how many people in this auditorium this morning, as we're singing, would just be willing to quietly from your heart say, God, I want your fire. I want your hammer. It may be uncomfortable, it may be painful, but that's what I want. Because I never want to stray from the truth of your word. I pray that God would give us the willingness to do just that. Let's pray. As always, I want you to know that we are here um, during the closing part of this service every week ready and willing to speak with you to help in any way that we can. 
This is your moment to respond. This is not the time to gather your car keys and get everything together. This is your time to respond, to meet with the Lord. You can do that privately right where you are. If you need to speak with someone, I'll be at the back. I'll be more than happy to do so. We also have a lady in the back willing to do the same. Father, may you minister your word to our hearts today. Plant within us, God, a fresh commitment to stand upon the truth of your word, no matter what comes, no matter who likes it and who doesn't. I pray, God, this church would be a true beacon for you in these times. I pray you would keep us strong. We are unable to do that ourselves. I pray that you, by your spirit, would empower us and keep us standing firm for you until our time on this earth is over, that you would be glorified through everything that we've said and done. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning or anyone watching online who's never been saved, they've never been born again, I pray, God, that you would convict their heart. May they repent of their sin and call upon Jesus for salvation. And we thank you for any who do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. See